a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Next is now. Welcome back to Inside Sources. Very pleased to be joined now by Natalie Brunel, host of Coin Stories. This is the Coin Stories podcast focusing on Bitcoin and economics. He's also a Bitcoin educator, speaker, and investor. And we've been looking at a a recent uh, article in The Hill where the mayor of Miami, uh, Francis Suarez, says he wants Miami to be the Bitcoin capital of the world. He wants to actually pay city workers with Bitcoin. We thought that was interesting and thought we better get some better perspective. So, Natalie, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks so much for having me. So let's let's dive into it. This uh, mayor of Miami again announced that he uh, wants to start paying city employees with bitcoins. Uh, other states are investing in cryptocurrency. What do you think about that? And and why do you think governments are getting interested in Bitcoin now? Well, first of all, this is such an exciting time. I mean, not only are we seeing the number go up, but we are seeing more states and jurisdictions across the country becoming very friendly and welcoming to the Bitcoin community and the ecosystem of mining. So I think there's going to be a little bit of competition between places like Miami and we saw Texas really saying that they want to also be a hub for Bitcoin and the entrepreneurs that are in this system. I think it's really exciting that Miami is going forward and allowing that employees could potentially be paid by an asset that is performing so well compared to everything else really in the financial markets, including especially the U.S. dollar. A lot of people right now are saying, pay me in Bitcoin. Uh, We've seen some athletes do it. And so I think it's just a really exciting time and it'll encourage adoption to grow. And what are the advantages uh, for governments in particular for a place like Miami or places in Texas uh, to get involved in in Bitcoin? Well, you know, I think that there are several advantages. I mean, Bitcoin is a decentralized technology. So it's really a statement by a government to say we support this disruptive and emerging technology that can't be altered or manipulated by any one actor. Um, Governments, you know, right now on a national level, we're printing money, we are expanding the money supply, and everyone is feeling that inflation. And so for a government to be so progressive to say that we support a technology which has a fixed unit of account, which we can't expand, that none of us have control over, is pretty surprising, if you ask me. Um, So I think that it's, it's really just a statement of acknowledging the fact that we're in a system where The U.S. dollar is decreasing in value, and we want to make sure that people, especially people on fixed income, can make sure to hold their the power of their money that they earn, that they work so hard for. And I think it's really important that more and more politicians are educated on this technology 
and embrace it. And if people want to be paid in it, then I think that that's a, a great option. Uh, I think that's so important. And I want to dig into that just a little bit. We've, of course, been talking a lot on the fact that uh, the U.S. government continues to print money. We continue to raise the debt ceiling uh, and uh, mm-hmm. and spend in, in significant ways. And, of course, every time that money gets printed, uh, inflation and the value of the currency goes down. Uh, so, so here's the big question. Our gov- is our government's going to screw this up too? <laughs> Are they, what's the impact of, of government on Bitcoin, and, and what should we be watching for? What should we be uh, careful of uh, moving forward? Yeah, so two things on that. First of all, this technology is so amazing in its decentralization that the idea that someone can really ban it is pretty much impossible. It's essentially like saying, "Can you ban the internet?" You know, a mm-hmm. uh, passcode, your your private key can be held in your head. So there's not really much that governments can actually do. I think it's really exciting that we have this ETF news right now that's developing. It is a huge statement of legitimacy by the SEC that we should continue to be watching. There has always been this black cloud over Bitcoin that the U.S. could try to ban it, like China has repeatedly year over year. But this means essentially that there won't be a ban. There are going to be regulations, but they're going to be in the order of what we see for all financial assets. Mm. And I think that they will further entrench Bitcoin into the mainstream because ETFs are basically a simple way to own Bitcoin now. They have low transaction fees uh, to buy them. There's no technology hurdles. You know, it's sort of de-geekifying Bitcoin and they will be insured like any other uh, security. So I think that this will allow the ETFs and Bitcoin to scale and taxes will be pretty much as simple as any other security. And I just think that this creates sort of this four-line highway and a bunch of on-ramps for people to get into Bitcoin and enable it to get over that $1 trillion valuation hurdle that we've we've been struggling with for the past six months. I think this is a super exciting time. Yeah, so let's talk about that from uh, kind of just a, a regular person, whether that's a, an investor or someone who's maybe even thinking of being paid in Bitcoin. You mentioned those on fixed income, uh, the values there. What are some of the things that just the, the average person should be thinking about? Some of the things you talked about in terms of demystifying uh, Bitcoin. What are some other things that uh, someone, whether, again, whether they want to be paid in it or whether they want to uh, make it part of their investment portfolio, what should people know about that? Look, I think that everyone's investment risk is is very different, right? This is a very volatile asset. It, It still is because we're very early. It hasn't been adopted by the mainstream just yet. We're at a pretty small market cap compared to things like gold and the M2 money supply. I mean, we're at the baby stages. So for people who are very conservative or worried I mean, I I see this as an opportunity to take some disposable income, something in the 1% to 5% range that you really wouldn't, um, that wouldn't, you know, hurt you if you lost all of it and try to try to allocate it or just you know, start to use it. There's something like the, the the Lightning Network, which enables people to do fast, free transactions across the world on the Bitcoin network. And it just gets you exposed and watching the price. Other people just look at the logarithmic pattern of Bitcoin over the last 12 years and see that it is the best performing financial asset of the decade. It has appreciated at this point, I believe it's more than a million percent in the last 10 years, whereas the S&P 500 has done about 300 percent. Stocks like Amazon and Apple have done about 1,000 to 1,400 percent, and the U.S. dollar is just losing value. So when you look at just the charts, the statistics, the, the math and the science behind this technology, it's really hard to believe that people don't have at least 1 percent allocated at this point. And, of course, this isn't you know official financial advice by any means, but I think it's something that by at this point in the 12 years of history of Bitcoin, it's something most people should be looking at. 
Yeah. Anything else that we should be watching for or, again, those that are just interested or intrigued uh, by this? Again, uh, we, we always love to talk about disruptors and disruptive elements uh, in all kinds of markets. Uh, this clearly is one. But as you look at the cryptocurrency market as a whole, is there anything else in particular that we should be watching for? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because I think everyone should start and learn about Bitcoin first. I am not a proponent of many of the other cryptocurrencies, and we have yet to see what will happen with many of them because they are they tend to be more centralized, and that concerns me. So I believe in Bitcoin. I think there are a lot of folks out there who are these purists and maximalists, and there's no right or wrong, but I think Bitcoin is the right entry point. The technology is I, I argue superior to many of the other cryptocurrencies. It is programmed brilliantly to have digital scarce, scarcity in these 21 million coins. So before anyone starts to speculate and try to gamble with these sort of penny stocks or altcoins, I really urge them to look at the technology and look at the power of both the decentralization and the digital scarcity of Bitcoin and really look at their financial assets and how they've been performing over the last year, four years, 10 years. Because unfortunately, we are in this climate of money printing. We are seeing the inflation in real time in the prices of goods around us. And Bitcoin allows you to maintain the purchasing power of your money. Uh, excellent insight. Uh, Natalie Brunel joins us out of L.A. She's the host of the Coin Stories podcast and uh, great resources there as well. We're going to continue to watch this as more cities, more governments look at maybe paying workers that way uh, and a host of opportunities for individuals across the economic spectrum. Uh, great insight. Natalie, thanks so much for joining us today. TheHill.com is where many thought leaders look for insight on what's happening in our nation's capital and around the world. Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints wrote an op-ed, an interesting piece on the Hill about faith and economics. We'll talk about it coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.